Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Jim Matheson. I'm Derek Van Deest. I'm Craig Ellingson. This is the Oil Spills Podcast for Tuesday, May 14th, 2019. We'll talk about the road ahead for new Oilers general manager Ken Holland, what kind of moves he might make heading into free agency and the initial entry draft in late June. We'll also talk about who the Oilers might target as coach to replace Ken Hitchcock. I'm going to back into talking about the Oilers this week by talking about the Oilers team that's still playing, and that's Bakersfield down in the AHL, playing uh, Dallas Aikens' San Diego Gulls in the second round of the AHL playoffs. Now, it's Monday, May the 13th today, right? I have my days straight. Um, so they're down three games to two, and they've won their last two games. So we'll see if they can pull off the impossible. Um, you know, it's funny because I was wondering, you know, we're not down in Bakersfield and covering the AHL series. You know, I, was, I thought, oh, did we do that back in the day? Did you ever go down to cover any AHL playoffs when the Oilers were out? Um, 93, I don't think we did. Well, remember they had the lockout and the team played in Edmonton too? Yeah, they had the, the Edmonton Road, road Yeah. Yeah, um, I was thinking like when the Oilers are out of the playoffs, and no, I don't think we've ever AHL team. The baby Oilers might have been in Oklahoma contenders. City. Uh, I don't think so. I was in Oklahoma City, but that's when the lockout was on, and Hall and and Newton Hopkins and and Justin Schultz were down there. Yeah, yeah, because you know in '93, it was the first year the Oilers, the you know the NHL Oilers missed the playoffs. Um, you know, at the rebuilding time, getting rid of all the. Stars, Gretzky, Messier, Fewer, etc. But that was the year the Oilers won the Calder Cup. Uh, you know, was it a Dave Andrews team at the time? Uh, maybe he was in Cape Breton, wasn't it? Yeah, Cape Breton. Yeah, yeah. They had good, they had good minor league players, and not too many of them ever made it. Well, you know, to Bill the McDougal was there, one of yeah. their leading scorers, yeah. and Dan Curry. Yeah, Dan Curry and guys like David Hawes and guys like they, they were, they were good American League players. I think that's the. That's the thing not to get too excited about it when your American League team does well. Is it doesn't necessarily mean that's going to translate to your NHL team. And you look at that roster, and, and uh, they they could do well at that level, but you may only get three or four guys that make the jump to the NHL. And I guess that Cape Breton team is a perfect example of that. And um, so I know as exciting as it is to see that the Oilers farm team is doing well, and I think you know fans want to cling to something that's positive. Um, you know, you just have to be a little aware of the fact that 
that doesn't necessarily mean that the Oilers are going to be good in four or five years with the bulk yeah. of those players. Eventually we'll see the Condors all being yeah. Oilers. Exactly. I mean, I, Sean Van Allen happen. and Sean Podine and Peter White, they were, they were on that team. Of course, all of them went on to play you know, third, fourth line roles with other teams. I think that's what you're looking at in the in the minor leagues, ex- apart from the defensemen. You're looking at, apart from maybe Benson and Yamamoto, who's hurt, been hurt now for two years, the rest of them are fourth line NHL players. As hard as Gambardella works, and he's really good in the minors, and he scores goals, and as hard as Brad Malone works, they're fourth line NHL players. So the forward part of it is is mostly fourth line players, um, but they do have lots of defensemen, and they have, you know, Bouchard and Samarukov, theoretically just right out of junior, uh, not American League players coming as well. So their strength is on defense, but they don't have enough forwards, which is why this, you know, at the draft and end of July, I'm sure they'll be trying to find some bottom six NHL forwards. I think if the, if there's positives out of that is that now with Kenny Holland here, Jim's right. You, you're developing third to fourth line players in the American Hockey League. You're not necessarily developing superstars in the, in the American Hockey League. There's obviously exceptions there that guys play in that league and come up and, and become star players. Um, but Kenny Holland is notorious for being able to develop guys and bring them up after three, four years in the minors. And they become very, very serviceable third and fourth line guys. And then Detroit's never really had a problem with their third and fourth line guys. They've fallen into problems recently because they don't have top end guys. They don't have first and second line guys. That's just one of the reasons is because they haven't had a high draft pick in so long. They, and, and it's tough to, to, to get a really high, high end guy when you're selecting 20th or lower every year. So I think in that sense, that's positive for the Edmonton Oilers because you'll look at this team. And he'll identify, okay, this guy could play with us in two or three years. This guy could play with us in two or three years. This guy can play with us in two or three years. And that was the oldest problem this year is they were playing with a bunch of American Hockey League players at the bottom half of their lineup, and they just couldn't compete. The top half of the lineup is fine. They got the have they have the star players. They just haven't built the roster around them, and I think that's where Ken Holland comes in, and then he'll be able to do that, and he'll be able to kind of fill that bottom half of the roster that you need. He's gonna. I, I find it's gonna be very interesting at these pro meetings to have Ken Holland ask the pro people, "Can Puliyarvi play?" He's coming from Detroit. He didn't see him that often. All he knows is he's played three years since he was drafted, and now his contracts, his entry levels up. And what's he done compared to say Kachuk in Calgary or Dubois in in uh, you know in Columbus? Um, you hate to use others as examples, but they've been, you know, especially Kachuk and Dubois is a really good player. They're light years ahead of Blair So he's probably looking at them saying, okay, can this guy play in the NHL or do we try to trade this guy? You know, I don't know much about him. So tell me why, why you think he can play or why he can't play. And th- those are the questions he's going to be asking it apart from the, you know, trading Lucic to get rid of the money and stuff like that. There's a couple of guys in the team. You're going down the roster, Kenny probably is, and saying, okay, should I put a check mark beside this guy? Is he a keeper? And then, you know, which players are keepers, which ones are question marks, and which ones, you know, we have to trade. Because he's coming from Detroit that's not playing the same conference anymore as the owners. Doesn't play the owners very often, two times a year. 
and he's he's only seeing the Oilers every now and then on TV. He's not seeing them very often, like in the past when they'd be in the same conference. You know, because I bring up I bring up the AHL and the, and the Condors because obviously they're still playing, but you know they Oilers do have depth on defense. You know, in their system as an organization as a whole, they do have pieces in the NHL. Obviously, they have some in the in the AHL. We've seen some of them up with Edmonton over the last year and a bit already with Ethan Bear, Caleb Jones, Evan Bouchard. You know, there's a William Lajeson who's down there as well. You mentioned Samorakov, who is still a junior. He hasn't played pro yet, but obviously he's... And they have Joel Person coming from Sweden. He's got yep. a one-way, $1 million contract for next year. So that's a lot of money to pay a guy to play in the minors. It's almost like you said, we believe you can play in the NHL next year and he's a really good player in the Swedish Elite League and there's probably no reason why he can't. Um, but that's just another complication. If you're going to trade anybody, you're trading a defenseman in the minors for a better draft pick. Or if you want to trade Lucic, you throw a prospect defenseman in the deal to the other team. That's the thing. Those 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 defensemen in the minors right now, they're they're currency and they're they're good currency. They're valued. And and you're right. If if you gotta make a move with a guy like Lucic and you're gonna try and move that contract, um and it's you know, he's got he's got a no no trade clause, so he's gonna have to wanna go somewhere and he's already stated that he would be happy to go back to Vancouver, his hometown and play there. Then the Canucks, you'd have to take a bad contract back, but yet you may have to sweeten the pot by saying, okay, we'll, we'll give you one of these young prospect defense. I think Ethan Bear is the one that would get traded from the minor league team. Likely. They yeah. talk more now about, about uh, Lagesson, the Swedish defenseman, uh, and Caleb Jones, and Bear seems to be the third one on the, and then now they've got Bouchard and Samarukov, so, and this person coming from Europe. So I think Ethan Bear would be the one defenseman that they could probably trade. Uh, they've got, they, they, it's the one organization with a lot of right shot defensemen. Most teams got lefties. The owners got lots of right shot defensemen, which are eminently tradable. But, you know, the mantra, I believe, is still true today as it has been over the last who knows how long. You know, building up the middle, you want to have, you know, strength at center, defense, goalie. Because if you want to fill in the wings, which is what the orders are lacking, you trade from your they, they if you're trading from defense i mean you should be able to acquire more scoring strength on the wings now mind you you know when you're dealing a lucic and you're throwing in a prospect in hopes of getting something back um you know if you're talking about having to take on someone else's bad contract is that i don't that, that's not really improving your team necessarily i mean i don't know what you would reasonably expect back for that sort of a deal however you know, I, I guess thinking about Ken Holland coming into the job now, the NHL draft and free agency, we're a month and a half away from that. You know, I don't know if we're going to be able, we're not seeing anybody getting dealt by the draft. Maybe we are. Maybe an Ethan Barracks kind of a scenario, he's getting traded. We're seeing something come back to Edmonton. Those, those sort of deals usually happen the week of the draft yeah. where mm -hmm. there's trades. I mean, the one, the one, player you got to watch out for is like chase on i mean i wouldn't want him going to free agency you know and give him a chance to look at all these other teams i think he's a server he's a good nhl player of which the owners don't have a lot of bottom six players he's a bottom six nhl player on a, on a really good team I'd, I'd lock him up i'd give him the contract and say 
that's one fewer player, one less player rather than we have to look for somewhere else. And he's on our team, so. Yeah, that's the thing. Jason's not going to get you another 20 goals. I think this year was kind of an... But he's probably you know, a, but 13, 14 yeah, goals right. a year, which is fine if he's a bottom six player and he can. he's a net front guy on a power play and he can kill some penalties. Yeah. I, that's perfect. It, you know, if the dollar figure is a million and a half like Kajula was making, that's perfect. Yeah, I, I think it is, you know, it's going to be interesting how, how Jason went from not being able to get a job anywhere and have to accept a, a, a PTO to now maybe he has some value on the market because he is a smart player. He's obviously shown that he has some good hands. And I think that that's the, the thing that impressed me most about Jason this year is not the fact that he was scoring. It's just that he was getting in positions to score. And I think sometimes that's even tougher to do. But he knew where to go. He knew where to get. And if he hit, you know, he missed some wide open nets at the time. So he could have had 25 goals, to, you know, push it on 30 easily. But I think he's a very he's an NHL player, and I think the Oilers didn't have enough of those guys. They didn't have enough guys that were genuine NHL players. They had a lot of tweeners and guys that were AHL players that were trying to make the jump to the NHL, and and, and you can't win in the NHL with when half your roster is AHL. I think roster. if if Ken Holland is going to make any trades, it's going to be making trades with Steve Eiserman in Detroit. He knows the Red Wings organization better than anybody, and he he might see a player that's playing under minor league team, and say, I like that guy. And I'd like to get him in a deal, and we can make a deal with their buddies, so we can make that deal. So, but I, yeah, it's uh, the orders have too many. They have too many minor league defensemen, and and if you look at their roster of NHL defensemen, you're probably looking at it and going, okay, we know that Clefbaum and Nurse are definite keepers, and then after that, Larson has to bounce back after not a very good year. And then you've got Russell with his one year left in his contract, Sekera with one year left in his contract, Benning, uh, a third pairing defenseman who might, you might want to trade Benning for a forward. You might want to go to the Leafs and say, okay, we'll take that Connor Brown, who's a bottom six NHL player at two million and we'll trade you a $1.9 million defenseman. So, but yeah, the order, I don't think the owners can take back like if you're going to trade Lucic, they can't take back somebody else's big contract. They just got to, their cap situation is not great. Although there's some players obviously that this upcoming season, they have a little bit more cap room that they can, you know, don't sign guys and such that way. But I don't, they're not taking back 6 million. They're trying to find a team that'll take that contract off their hands. And then the orders will give a player they don't really want to give up just to get rid of the money. But I think about what the owners need. They don't need more bottom six players. They need more top six players. No, well, they need both. Well, yeah. They need, wingers, you, they need wingers in the top six, yeah. and they need bottom six NHL, not pretend players, real pl- bottom they've six got players. A, they've got a, <laughs> they have to sort of undo. And I know you have the Lucic contract. They've got to go and trade Clefbaum, Larson, Darnell Nurse for that top six forward. They've got to do the reverse of the Hall trade. They've got to make that back somehow, some way. Well, yeah. Uh, the signing of free agents this summer, I don't see the high-end free agents. Skinner. Well, there's, how are they coming here as long as the cap situation yeah, is what it is? It's not. Yeah, they got to free up some cap spots. And they have, to, they have to find a team. I think at the trading deadline, they had a team that was going to take Brandon Manning's contract for next year. But they, they were going to put 
Kara in the deal um, for a draft pick. So, you know, Kara is another one who's kind of on the fence. Yeah. For me, I don't know what you, Derek, he's kind of on the fence. This was his perfect opportunity this year to, to prove that he's in Steve, you know, that he's chase on, you know, mm-hmm. and he didn't do it. Three goals. No, he didn't. And you're right. The door was open for him. And he's a guy that you can see his potential. In some games, he looks great. And you're like, wow, this guy really has a lot of potential. And in other games, he just disappears. And I think that the knock on him or, or, or the, the frustration with him for a lot of coaches is that he doesn't bring it consistently. He doesn't come and play every night. And it's, it's, and it's every other night or takes a few shifts off. And, and at this level, you can't do that. You have to prepare every night and you have to play hard every night even if you're not accomplishing much you have to be out there make your presence felt you have to be involved in the game somehow like Chris, Craig McTavish would always talk about you have to stand out in some way or another you can't just go through the motions and you have to every game you have to do something that kind of makes you stand out and Jujar Carl. I think he's eminently just, tradable though because when you do talk to other teams they always first off they ask you about Kara and mispronounce his name yeah. What about that uh, Kyra, Kura, well, however you pronounce his name. So other teams are looking at him thinking the same thing, that he's a big body. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think he skate. When you watch the teams play in the playoffs, their bottom six guys skate like like hell. Yeah. And they bang and they're like Boston's guys. They're, they're on you in a heartbeat. I don't know. I think his skating has to be better to be a bottom six guy. Like when he's going, he's he's good, but he's pretty much a board a board cycle kind of player. So I think he's another one who's if you're looking at players to trade for other pieces, I think he's yeah, JJ's on that list. Of course, none of these things have happened, but we're talking a good game. <laughs> well, I think the one of the things too is that Ken Holland he's gonna evaluate his scouting staff. His pro scouting, I, he won't do anything before the draft because you don't fire a bunch of amateur scouts before the draft. You, you do it after the draft, after they've done all their work and done all their homework. And, and the you have amateur, to kind of trust and them. And the amateur that. scouts hope they've got another year left exactly. on the contract. Because it's tough getting work after the draft because everybody's got their guys. Yeah. Unless they're unless one team's decided they're letting go five or six guys. And then, you know, you know so far... Ken Holland has been on the job about a week and nobody from the Detroit Red Wings has come to Edmonton yet. So we'll see. Coaching. I mean, the owners need one. Before we start talking about who Ken Holland might want to uh, hire and hire relatively soon, we should talk about Dallas Eakins. Um, he's the uh, head coach of the San Diego Gulls, the affiliates of the Anaheim Ducks, and the Gulls are playing the Condors in the AHL second round. Now, uh, we've talked to Dallas Eakins, uh, you know, before, you know, after he, he was let go by the Oilers and and he talked to Mark Spector uh, just in the last few days. Uh, Spector wrote a story on Sportsnet about Aikens and uh, and basically his his job down there in Anaheim. And 
touched on, you know, him leaving Edmonton, what he learned and stuff like that. And we talked to him before about these things too. Um, you know, learning from your mistakes and whatnot. Tell me about Dallas Aikens and, I mean, he's now the heir apparent in, uh, in Anaheim if, uh, They'll need a new coach after firing uh, Randy Carlisle and GM Bob Murray stepping behind the bench for the rest of the year there. What do you see Dallas Aikens? Do you think he's he's going to be the next coach of the Ducks, or do you think he's ready to come back? Absolutely. He coaches all their minor league players, and that's the team that has to turn over a lot of their older players. You know, Corey Perry's and. Kessler, I don't know if Kessler's ever going to play again because of his hip issues. And Getzlaff is, you know, his best days are behind him. They need younger players now, and he's coaching their younger players, and which is why Anaheim's farm team has more NHL-type players on it than the Oilers do at forward, which is a problem for, for the Oilers in the playoffs. You know, that's Sam Steeles and guys like that, and Max Jones and Comtois and more offensive forwards. So I think he'll be coaching their team. I, you know, I mean, sure, they'll interview somebody else probably just rather than just give it to him. I don't see him any different than Kenny Holland hiring Jeff Blashell when Mike Babcock left. He says he's done a good job with our minor league guys. You know, and, and he's, you know, second time around, a lot of coaches are a lot less smart. You know, they think they know it all the first time around as a head coach, and then they realize that when they get fired, they don't. And then the next time around, there's been enough time between when Dallas got fired and him getting back on the horse in the NHL. I'm sure he's learned quite a bit by coaching their farm team. I think he'll be the coach of the team. Well, the thing is with Dallas Akins, he was not prepared for the job with Edmonton Oilers. He was hired. He told the Oilers what they wanted to hear. He told the Oilers that he could get them to play a style that they wanted to play. Um, and the Oilers bought it, and they, they fired a very, very smart, maybe one of the smartest guys that ever come through the organization, Ralph Kruger, and replaced him with Dallas Akins. And I think, it, to me, it was it was a situation where Dallas Akins came in here, and he applied for the job, and he said all the right things, and part of me doesn't think he expected to get the job. Part of me, he, he was expected to be... Um, associate coach. associate coach for Ralph Kruger, and then they decided, you know what? Let's just make this guy the head coach. And he was completely unprepared for the situation. And I and I think I think Dallas Higgins is a very very good American Hockey League coach. He's a very good developer of young players. My thing with Dallas Higgins when he was here, I think he spent too much time worrying about what everyone else thought. He spent too much time trying to impress everyone else as opposed to just doing your coaching. You could see it in the practices that the practices were about him. You could see it in the practices. He was trying to impress us, impress his bosses, impress everyone with his knowledge as opposed to just going and work. And I think that got old really quick with some of the players. Um, you could sense it when, he, when they were practicing that they'd spent a, an awful lot of time on that whiteboard, diagramming drills. And and we found out once once Aikens got let go, he was diagramming pretty simple drills that these guys have done for a long, long time. Some of the stuff that the, the players have told us. I think going down, he's a very good American Hockey League coach because he doesn't have all those eyes on him and he can just focus on coaching. And I think if anything he's learned is that he's got to come up here and not worry about trying to impress anyone and just focus on coaching. And the coaching will take you, the wins will impress people, not how you conduct your practice and not you know, pretending to how knowledgeable you are. And I think 
you're never as good in your first job as you are in your second and your third. That's why these coaches keep coming back because they keep improving. They keep learning after their every situation. I think Dallas Aikens is probably at that, at that stage. He just was unprepared to take the older job. And in fairness to him, he didn't have a very good roster. He had a very, very bad roster. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a good roster at all. It was a tough roster to compete with. And I think after the first year, the Oilers were, you know, Craig McTavis just trying to save face. And he says, this is my guy. They gave him too long of a contract. He, t- he was too unproven. And he came highly recommended from media types in Toronto. And, you know, if I was a GM of a, an NHL team, I don't know if I want to be taking my advice from media types. I don't think you'd be any, any, there'd be any drop off with him coming up from the minors you know, comparing him to, say, Travis Green, who coached Vancouver's farm team, came to the NHL and has been pretty good at what he does. And, you know, Bednar in, in Colorado, he coached, in, you know, Cleveland in the, Amer- in the American Hockey League and got to the NHL and was a disaster his first year because he had a terrible team and they got a better team and he looks like a pretty good coach now. So, you know, you can come from the American League if you're, as long as you're not some whiz kid who's suddenly, you know, only... 28 years old if you've paid your dues even to get to the american league you can get to the nhl too and it's nowadays it seems like the the deal is how you relate to the younger players now not necessarily the older ones and i you know in anaheim's case with dallas their older players aren't aren't their stars anymore i mean getzlaff's still a captain but perry's a a support player and kessler i don't know if he can play anymore so he'll get the attention of the younger players there I think the one thing too is when the Ducks would come through town is, you know, we almost seeked out guys that had played in San Diego and asked them about how Dallas Akins was doing. And I think to a man, they all really liked him as a coach because I think he is a good coach when he just focuses on coaching and he's focusing on coaching the young guys. Um, and I think up here, there were just too many distractions and too many people to try and impress. And there was a lot of pressure on him because Ralph Kruger left and, we all knew Ralph Kruger was a very, very smart coach. Ralph Kruger didn't have to go around telling everyone how smart he was. You could just, you could just tell by the way he ran his practices, by the way he talked to us, by the way he interacted with his players. They all liked him, and you could just tell. And I think it's those are tough footsteps to follow when you're a guy like Dallas Akins, who, you know, f- for a few years there, they were touting him as the next best young coach in the not coaching in the NHL and you know that's tough to live up to that and I think he spent too much time worrying about that as opposed to just coaching this hockey team it's difficult it'd be difficult the problem with with a younger guy in the Pacific division is most of the coaches are experienced coaches Mm -hmm. so not necessarily not just Peter DeBoer in San Jose um, but Gerard Gallant in Vegas you know Bill Peters um, they're Older, more experienced Todd McCollin obviously is in LA now. So if you're a younger guy trying to compete against more experienced guys, uh, it might be a little more in the Pacific oh. Division. I mean, I mean, like which brings us to the coaching thing of the orders. Do they go for a sure. more experienced guy, or do they go for Todd Nelson, who hasn't been, you know, a head coach? I mean, it really depends. Like, because you know, Travis Green is in the Pacific yeah. Division, and and he's you know, done well. So and he's a young coach coming from the AHL. I mean, the thing about Aikens is. Um, you know, like you said, I mean, coming in, never, you know, first NHL job, he tried to change things too quickly. You know, that's uh, Spectre's article. I mean, Aikens admits he he tried to change the culture when, it, you know, something usually takes years. He's like thinking, I, I got to do it all in two weeks. You know, learning from your mistakes. I think, you know, if he's, 
I think we all learn from our mistakes over time. You know, experience, you can't say too much about having enough experience. There'll um, be less salary and less uh, carrots on the, uh, at the you know, and Aikens has always been talked about as being a more donuts. cerebral type guy too, thinking about things. I mean, I'm not saying he's Ralph Kruger. I mean, everybody's got their own road and stuff like that. Think about the that team that Kruger coached and that Aikens inherited, and of course it changed over the offseason. I mean, you know, that lockout year team was probably a bit better than the ones that immediately came after it. I mean, they were in a playoff position in that shortened year for a brief spell at the very least. But anyway, I don't want to make too much of that. Well, I think that the the problem was when Kruger had him playing a style that the Oilers didn't like. That the 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 he he didn't he came in here. He looked at his roster, and I've always contended. And, and this is the thing when I I talk to coaches and coaches say, well, we're going to play this style of play, and I always have a problem with that because you can only play this style of play if you have those players to play it, and that I always that's always a red flag for me when a coach comes in here and says, this is how we're going to play. Well, I think you have to evaluate your roster. And you're talking then, about Aikens again? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, again, learning from your mistakes, yeah. stuff like that. I guess we'll see if and when he gets the Anaheim job. You know, it is six years ago now. The whole NHL now is is north-south, pressure, fast skating. Now, there are some teams that, that lock it down more, like, you know, Long Island with Barry Trotz and Dallas um, played a more tight, Two to one type games, but mm-hmm. for the most part, it's up tempo. You got lots of young players. You teach them how to play some defense, but you're also trying to win the game offensively, not defensively. So then, you know, and you were trying to bring it into the now with the Oilers. Now we're faced with what kind of a coach should the Oilers bring in? Do they bring in Dave Tippett is one name being thrown out there, experienced veteran coach. Um, maybe he's yesterday's man. Maybe, I don't know. He hasn't coached in a couple of years. But there's the Todd Nelson example too, which is an interesting one in that he replaced Dallas Aikens in the interim before the orders uh, went out and hired Todd McClellan. Now, he hasn't been a 100% this is your job to have, to lose type of a guy. But which way should the orders go? Should they go the Tippett route? Should they go the Nelson route? Proven, unproven? I don't know. The last... Two coaches they've had have been veteran coaches, Todd McCullen and then Ken Hitchcock, and they really haven't had a younger coach since Bacon's or Todd Nelson. Um, Barry Trotz went into you know Long Island. Lou Lamarillo was the GM, and he wanted Barry Trotz. He didn't want a younger guy. Yeah, Dallas. Just Dallas, Cup, Dallas <laughs> went in. You know, Jim Nell decided he was going to go for Jim with Jim Montgomery out of. Denver University and and has been pretty successful. I yeah, I don't know. It's I, I think if you're a little more experienced as a general manager as Ken Holland is, you can go either way. You know, your job you got a five year contract. We're, we're not talking Jason Botterill here in in Buffalo who hired Phil Housley and it didn't work out. And okay, now he's already got one fo- coach fired. Now the second coach he hired better be the right one, or Jason Botterill's getting fired. So, uh, you know, you've got to be a little more careful here, Ken Holland. Let's put it this way. I don't, there's not going to be eight guys Ken Holland interviews. He knows which three or four guys he wants to talk to. And, and he'll, you know, I'm sure he's got two younger guys and two older guys. There's still a few NHL, former NHL coaches that are out there that he could get if he wanted to. Uh, 
it's 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 funny about coaching now. You get lots of former NHL coaches. The next thing you know, they're going to a team as assistant coaches, like Mike Yo and and Michelle Terry, and all of a sudden they're the assistant coaches. And they've been head coaches, so you never know how a general manager is thinking. You know, Ottawa's talked to Jock Mar- Martin. I mean, he's long since. Now they're going to talk to Rick Bonus, who's coached there when they first came into the league. I, I you know, I, who knows with a coach? You can't just say, oh, it's got to got to be Dave Tippett because he's coached for 15 years, been a head coach. It's got to be Dave Tippett. Maybe he says, I, I'd rather go for a younger guy. I think the situation now with a general manager, they used to say general manager can have three coaches before he gets like let off. I think that's now at two coaches because we've seen the last two general managers get laid off after two coaches. So that kind of increases uh, the importance of hiring the right guy right off the bat because you only get a second swing. It's only two strikes and you're out apparently now in the NHL, not three as it used to be. So he's got to go out there and, and he talks about stability in the organization. So an organization has gone through nine coaches in 10 years. That's what, whatever it's going to be. You got to bring in a guy that's going to be here for four or five years. Like when's the last time the Oilers haven't had a guy since Craig McTavish that has coached the team more than three years. So you have to, you have to bring in a guy that's going to be here for a while. Now, is that Dave Tippett? Is he, is he got four years of coaching left in him? Or is that a Todd Nelson who starts and then, yeah, he'll be here for a long time. But I just whoever don't they think put he, in, they, they got to bring in for more than one or two years. I, he's not bringing in a raw rookie who's never been a head coach. Like he's not going to suddenly give the job to Chris Knobloch or to Sheldon Keefe, who've never who's never been an NHL coach. I don't think. Or Jay Woodcroft. Or J, Jay Woodcroft. I I just don't I don't think he wants to hold the hand of a guy. He's got enough things on his plate other than apart from holding the hand of a of a coach who's never been a head coach in the league. He's got enough player situations. He wants somebody who's actually been a coach, head coach in the NHL. And whether that's interim guy like you know, Todd Nelson or a veteran guy, I just don't see him hiring somebody who's never been a head coach in the NHL. Jay Woodcroft's interesting too, because he's been with Todd McCullen so long. So he's obviously learned from him and he was Todd's right-hand man. But he's had one good year in the American Hockey League and everyone's wanted him promoted up to the NHL already. And, and, and this is a situation where we talk about players. Well, let's let players develop in the American Hockey League for two or three or four years before we call them up. I think coaches need to do the same. Let him stay down there and work on his craft, work on his head, head coaching craft. He's, yes, he's had a good year this year. He's done a great job with that team. Well, let's do it next year and the year after and the year after. And as, as Ken Hall like to say, let's over-ripen these guys until they're bursting the door to break into the NHL. And I think that's the same thing that's going to happen with Jay Woodcroft is, yeah, he's had a good year and people are clamoring from, oh, give him the NHL. He deserves a shot at this NHL job. Well, no, he's had one good year. Let him have, put a few of those in a row and then if kick he the had door one, down. If he got Ken one Hall's. more good year in the minors, I think then suddenly teams would look at him, other teams and say, you know what, maybe he can be a head coach in the NHL. I agree with you. One year is, is, you know, not a fluke, but I would want to see a guy be a head coach. And this is the first time he's ever been a head coach. Yeah. Um, yeah he's, but that said, it would surprise me not one bit if when the season ends, he goes and works with Todd McCollin again in Los Angeles as no, his associate coach. It's very possible that Todd brings him back to him. You know, he'd be Angeles. the associate coach, not the assistant coach, the associate coach. So, so that's a, you know, there's like there's a certain you can be you can be learning your craft in the minors, but there's the perks in the NHL are a little bit nicer mm. than they are in the minors. Yeah, it's got to come down to whether Woodcroft wants to stay on this path as a head coach, 
or be an associate coach for the rest of his career. Yeah, I I can't help but think every coach wants to be a head coach. Maybe at some point in time you realize maybe your role, you know, what you're suited to or whatever. But I mean, Jay Woodcroft's been, you know, when he was with Detroit, San Jose, Edmonton, he's been being groomed for quite a long time, you know, to whatever the future holds. I mean, clearly he's a head coach in the AHL. And no one's path's exactly the same, like Travis Green's path or Jared Bednar's path, you know, examples of AHL coaches and their first NHL gigs. You know, and they've had levels of success. I mean, you know, never mind Jay Woodcroft's weird way of becoming an AHL head coach. Uh, you know, Jared Bednar's was equally as unusual as well. Um, but look where the Avalanche are now. I don't know. I mean, you can play this game all day. Everybody's different. Dallas Aikens too. Until you get inside of Ken Holland's brain as to how he's thinking, I, you know, I don't know. I, I would be going to my captain and saying, okay, I got a couple of guys here I'm thinking of as a coach. I'll just run the names by, you know, he's the Connor McDavid. I don't think, I don't think they're going to hire a head coach without talking to the captain of the team saying, okay, ahead of time saying, okay, I got this guy or this guy. Should we go younger or older? It's not going to make the difference, but I would still be running it some stuff by Connor. That's the Oil Spills podcast for today. Subscribe to Oil Spills on iTunes and Google Play. You can also listen to it via the Edmonton Journal and Edmonton Sun apps and websites. Mm-hmm.